0: we can't fully conceive of your goodness to us lord the multitude of ways that you pour out your kindness lord help us open our eyes and our hearts to overflow with gratitude and that that gratitude would touch every area of our life would motivate us and stir us to be a people of great joy because of the work that you have done in us god thank you for jesus christ thank you for the gift of salvation thank you for the gift of a relationship with you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. The rest of us, if we will open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, we are in Mark chapter 6 today. All right, Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Pew Bible that should be close to you. Um, in the Pew Bible, if you want to use one of those, this is on page 841. As we consider where we are in the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus be doing all kinds of miracles, healings. He's uh, raising people from the dead. He is casting out demons, healing people that have been sick for decades, and just a whole range of things. And as this is growing, there's opposition growing towards Jesus, and as this opposition grows, there's hostility. And we're going to see that played out as we continue to unfold this but where we are in the book of Mark, we've just finished this section where the disciples have been sent out and great things have happened. And then we have this, this narrative that's interrupted, what this, the disciples being sent out, good things happening and then returning. And in, in the middle of that, they're sandwiched, our passage for this morning. And in this passage, what we're going to see is that there is a costly commitment to following Jesus. There is a costly commitment to following Jesus. As we consider this idea of a costly commitment, I would ask you this morning, what are some costly commitments that you have made? Costly commitments that you have made in your own life. Maybe for some of you it's buying a house or buying a car that you have made a commitment to pay a certain amount of money over a certain amount of months, over a certain amount of years, and by making that commitment that it's costing you a lot, but up front you knew this was going to be a worthy cost, and you're willing to pay that. As we think about the the financial cost, maybe we could also think in other realms of life. What Other realms of life where we make big commitments that are costly. One of those we would see would be marriage. By the way, my my second daughter got married, engaged yesterday, um, so we got two weddings coming up this year. So, anyway, that's a costly commitment <laughs> that started 26 years ago when we decided to get married. But so back to the text: marriage is a big commitment and it becomes costly. But we recognize that it's a commitment. Walking into it, we think of the marriage vows: for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That is a significant commitment. And then we enter in, we're understanding the costs that are associated with it. We think about having kids. Having kids, a costly commitment, right? You're, you're committed to them and training them up and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, loving them and helping them to flourish and all the responsibility that comes with that. We think about uh, going to college, a big commitment with the cost and the education needs, the demands that are there, the things that you have to learn. We think about the cost of of, of signing up for an athletic e- sport even. Being involved in a sport, you, you, you're involved with that, or music that you have to commit to practice, 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 and you have games. There are a lot of things that we involve ourselves in that become a costly commitment. And those those commitments, we seem to enjoy them much more when we understand what we're getting into. For instance, when you buy a house or you get married, you know, walking into it, how much it's going to cost in terms of a house, how, the finances. Truth in lending says, this is how much you're going to pay, this is the interest rate, this is how many years, this is how much total money you're going to sp- spend. So going in, eyes wide open. Marriage in a similar way. That's why we have the marriage vow. So people go in with eyes wide open. Now, when we step into marriage, we're often pretty naive and we think, well, we're always going to love each other. Sickness and in health, all that kind of stuff. That's going to be easy for us. But we make the commitment because we understand it. But whenever we make a commitment but don't understand the cost, that becomes a problem. I mean, suppose you make a commitment to go on spring break in a few weeks. You've got your place rented and you've, you're going to make a big trip and you've been saving a bunch of money and so you're going to actually fly on spring break and you've planned this and you've uh, paid for your tickets and you get to the airport and you realize $50 for every extra suitcase? Fine. What do you do, right? So you pay it. You get on the plane, you're flying down and that bag of peanuts that you want, they will sell that would be $4. I didn't expect that either. Bottle of water, yeah, that's $4 too. And you're like, I didn't expect that. You get out and you 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 go to rent a car, and uh, then you say you need this insurance and all that. And you knew how much it was going to cost, but then all these extra costs associated with it. And you're like, we weren't expecting that either. You get to the place you're staying, you're pulling, you're, you're thinking, fine, we're finally at the vacation place. Pull into where you're going, and they're going to charge you 50 bucks a day to park. You're like, are you kidding me? And by the time the vacation's over, you're asking yourself, was this, was this worth it? And we say things like, I didn't sign up for this. We think about a costly commitment. And what we're talking about this morning in the book of Mark, what I want us to recognize is that there is a costly commitment to following Jesus. And the Word of God is very honest with us. And we should not be able to read the New Testament, read the gospel, and then whenever things get difficult or challenging, we must not be able, we cannot step back and say, Well, I didn't sign up for this. Because we read the gospel and we read what it says and we read what happens to other people, we recognize the cost of following Jesus can be very great. Let's look at our text Mark chapter 6, verse 14. It says, King Herod, King Herod heard of it, and what he's heard of is the miracles of Jesus and the disciples going out and all the things that are happening there, when he had heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, let's pause here. If we're reading through the book of John and we get to chapter 6, we'd be like, wait, what? John's dead? What happened to John? Because the way this is written, we don't know this yet. We've just found out that John's dead, that what? That he's he's risen from the dead. And uh, it goes on, and it says he's um, in verse 15, so others are saying he's Elijah. Others say he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, is raised from the dead. Whoa, more information. John's dead, and he's beheaded? And we, when he heard them, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Well, as we look at the introductory part of this passage, we see that the supernatural work that Jesus has been doing is creating some confusion about his identity, that people aren't really sure what to make of Jesus. And his word is spreading, it reaches the ears of Herod who this guy they're talking about is Herod, and he's up in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. He's ruling in that area. He's the Roman ruler. So he's, he's a big shot. And he's hearing about this, and, and he's thinking, man, is this John the Baptist risen from the dead? Because they knew John was a prophet. John was really significant. Or maybe he's like Elijah, because the Jews were thinking that Elijah was going to come back before the Messiah. The Old Testament talked about that. But also, Elijah was a significant, significant prophet. He did significant miracles. He, he, he caused it to stop raining for a three-year period of time. We see him doing some of that. As we also see that when at the end of Elijah's life, that he was taken to heaven by a chariot of fire, right? So he didn't die. And so people are expecting, well, maybe this is um, Elijah and maybe he's come back. Others say, no, I mean, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. That These older, old-time prophets were amazing teachers. There are amazing things going on, and maybe that's who it is. And so the people have all these ideas, and they're not all on the same page about who Jesus is. But what they are in agreement with is that he's somebody special, and God's working through him. right? So there's agreement with this. Well, what happens in verse 16 we see Herod, he is saying that Herod heard of it, he's thinking it's John who he beheaded. And we're going to see that narrative in just a few minutes when we get later in this passage. But John had been beheaded because of Herod. And we're told the story of what happened a little bit here that his wife Herodias, he was married to Herodias, but Herodias had been married to Herod's brother. Right? So I've actually put together a, a family tree this graphic for us. As we read in the Bible, there are several Herod's. Okay, it's not all the same guy. Okay, they share this family name. There's Herod the Great. He was the Herod who was king whenever Jesus was born. He is the one who was threatened and wanted the babies in the realm of, of in the region of Bethlehem killed. That was that Herod. He actually had 10 sons. These are the ones we read about in the Bible. But so this one son named Philip, he's over here on your right side. He married see down below the next line is Herodias and those of you who know family trees it's like wait that's his niece yep okay so Herod Philip married Herodias okay Herod Antipas the guy right above Herodias is the one we're reading about here okay so Herodias was married to Philip Herod Antipas he was married to another lady the two of them schemed and they to divorce their husbands and they wanted to marry each other so they arranged all that, so Herodias went from marrying one uncle, now she's married to the other uncle. Now you're thinking, that's messed up. Oh, this is just the start of the iceberg. You, you want to messed up stuff? I mean, this guy's, well, there's a lot to it. There's a daughter of Herodias who ends up marrying one of the other uncles, her great uncle, but the whole corruption in this family of Herod is, is it's awful. I mean, soap operas don't hold a candle to it. But we see this, and so this is what's going on. Now, John the Baptist steps into the mix of all this, and he says, This is wrong. You know, it is wrong for you to have divorced this woman and to this, this Herod to have divorced your wife and to be marrying this woman. That's wrong. And um, Herodias doesn't like it. She doesn't like it one bit because she wants him dead as a result. She wants him dead. But Herod's like, Man, I can't kill this guy. I mean, he's something special about him. And he, he's an amazing teacher, and so she wants him dead, but instead Herod kind of compromises and puts John in prison. Right? So that's where we kind of see things at this part of, the, part of the narrative. And we also see in this that this Herodias, she is murderously anger about this. And the reason for that is because the truth of the gospel the truth of God's word brings conviction of sin. We know when we're doing wrong. There's our, our consciences are already working on us when we are doing wrong. But then, when somebody comes and tells us about it, what's usually our response when somebody tells us about wrong that we know we're doing? We get angry. Oftentimes, we get hostile towards them. How dare you talk to me about my sin? And we see this idea, this hostility grow up today. And we, it happens today because when we're sinning, we, are, we want to play in the darkness with our sin. And what does truth do? Truth turns on the light. It turns on the light for others to see. It turns on the light for me to see it more clearly. And I don't, we don't like that. We want to shut the blinds and keep the doors closed, keep the lights out because we want to do what we want to do. And when it's exposed, there's hostility often grows. And so as we consider this going on, we see this hostility beginning to grow and that conviction of sin stirs up hostility towards those who speak truth. And we see this hostility of Herodias is aimed at John. Rather than doing the right thing, rather than listening and repenting, she becomes angry to the point she wants him dead. We often use the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Well, that's exactly what she wanted to do. To shoot him, hang him, whatever she could do. I want him shut up. And now you think about that. I think about the context of that marriage. She wants him dead, and he has the power to do it. I mean, he's the ruler after all. I mean, what he wants done is going to get done. There's corruption in all of this. He can figure out a way to make it happen, but he won't. And so Herod's over here. He thinks he's probably got a good compromise by putting him in prison. At least that'll make her happy. But did it make her happy? Not at all. Because she saw the conviction going on in her heart because because is there because of John, not because of her sin. She thought if she could silence John, she could silence her conscience. We often think that too if I can just get away from those who are speaking truth, if I can just move away, and frankly, sometimes we see that within the church. When somebody is deciding to walk on a path of sin, that they get kind of set on it, that those who love them enough to walk alongside of them often become an enemy. We see that in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, we see that Paul says to the Galatians, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? we see that 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 happen and and so this conviction of sin she wants it silenced so what happens well in verse 21 we read on and it says but an opportunity came an opportunity this now we're in the context this is an opportunity for what it's an opportunity for her to get what she wants so, an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter, this would be Herod's niece, her daughter, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask for me, for me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her. "'Whatever you ask me, I will give, it up, give to you up to half of my kingdom.' And she went out. And she went out and said to her mother, "'For what should I ask?' And she said, "'The head of John the Baptist.' And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, "'I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter.' And the king was exceedingly sorry." Because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head, and he went and beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother, and when his disciples heard of it, they came and took the body and laid it in a tomb." As we read this, it's a, a horrible story. And we see the corruption at all these different levels. We see the king having this big party. And he's having this big party, and it's, 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 it's all the significant people are here. It says the nobles, so all of those who are the aristocrats, those who had high positions in, in the government, military commanders, leading men of Galilee. I mean, this is, this is the who's who of this whole region have come together for his birthday He's the king, they come for his birthday, money's no object, spend, we're having this great, great party. And so in the midst of this party, Herodias' daughter comes in and dances. Now the way this is described later, it talks about her as a girl, she's probably a, a, she's a teenager, mid love teenager. She comes in and she dances and, and, and we can probably let our imaginations go in places we don't want our imaginations to go in terms of the kind of dance that she performed that would so please the king and all these other men that he's going to give her half the kingdom. And we recognize this, the corruption and the immorality of some of this is going on and the king says, give me whatever you wish and it's interesting because she's like, she goes to her mom as we think about what's happening here, a few details, that this girl's name, Jewish history, would tell us her name was uh, Salome. There's a historian named Josephus. A Jewish historian would tell us that was her name. She's a stepdaughter. And, and, and as we consider this, that she goes in and dances, and Herod says, I'll give you anything. And then it says he vowed to her. And so these, all these elite guys, all these people, he, they're like, whoa, whoa. This guy's impressive. He's going to give her anything she wants. And he says that certainly to impress them, okay? but to uh, demonstrate his graciousness. And, and they're all happy. And because she's made us so happy, we'll give her whatever she wants. And she goes to her mom. And she says, Mom, what should I ask for? Now, what did the king, has, the king, has the king offered her? Anything up to half of the kingdom. And, and think about the, what this mom Herodias' sin has done to her view of the world she she could have anything for her daughter castles beaches servants money wealth position titles any of those things he she could have any of those things for her daughter But because she is so consumed with with her guilt, she is so consumed with this conviction of sin, because her hatred has grown so strong, she could have anything for her daughter. And what does she ask for? The one thing that will just ease her conscience. Which tells us the value of a clean conscience. What will we do to get rid of sin? What will we do to, to erase this stuff and to get rid of it? Rather than repent, she just wants to get rid of John. And we see just the, the ugliness of sin on display right here. That is, she says to them, ask for anything. And the mother says, what should I ask? The head of John the Baptist. We see the ugliness of all of this. And I wonder, as they go, it says they go and they went and they, to the jail. And it talks about the king and his king in the, in the midst of this. And he is, it says, he's exceedingly sorry in verse 26. Because he recognized John's a holy man. There is something unique about John, and I don't want to kill him, but now he's in a position where he did not have a choice, or he doesn't think he does. Because he feels like he is cornered. And what we recognize in this is that there is an unwillingness When we are unwilling to obey truth, what is the truth that John was saying to them, it's wrong for you to be married to this woman, rather than listen to truth, do the right thing, guilt grows. And this guilt that grows is now leading to a greater guilt. Because the immorality of being married to Herodias is now multiplied by the murder of an innocent man. That his guilt has grown. We see that often as well with our sin. We have sinned and lights get shined on it. And what do we do? We multiply our guilt because we lie about it. We cover it up. We sin in other ways to cover up that sin, to make just. And so we play in this game. And because we're unwilling to obey truth, we're mounting up more and more guilt. The scriptures tell us that to whom much is given, much is required. And as we recognize what happened, that, that this unwillingness that he has John beheaded, and as he has John beheaded, the disciples come and they bury his body. As we consider this narrative, I, I, I want to just pause. This is pointing us beyond this passage. Do you see parallels between this and what happens with Jesus? Do you recognize that Jesus preaches truth that the Jewish leaders hate? The Jewish leaders hate the message of Jesus. They bring him to Pilate. And what do they want Pilate to do to Jesus? Kill him. And he is innocent just like John was innocent. But Herod with Herodias, Pilate is cornered by the Jewish leaders. Because the Jewish leaders are saying, Listen, Pilate, if you let him off, you're no friend of Caesar. And you're going to look bad in the eyes of Caesar. Herodias has said, essentially, Herod, you'd break this and you're going to look really bad in the eyes of your guests. What does Pilate do? Same thing that Herod does. Kills an innocent man. An innocent man is put to death. He is put to death by by Jesus, by crucifixion, and John, by beheading. And this is pointing us to this work of Jesus. And as we understand all this, that we see that this passage in the midst of this is wanting us to see that there is a cost to following Jesus. As we read Scripture, one thing we need to be asking ourselves is, why is this here? Why are we reading about John in this part of the narrative? It's because it comes right on the heels of a passage that says, the disciples were told to go out, and they went out, they were to preach, they preached, and as a result, Things were good, things were happening. And then we read about another guy who went out and preached, and he gets his head cut off. What we're learning from that is this. What we're learning is that faithfully obeying Jesus' call to go, to go and make disciples, to go and love others wisely with grace and truth, obeying the call of Jesus to go, it is always right, but it's often costly. There may be great success, but there may be often, as well, great cost. And we must embrace this call to go, that we have a responsibility to go, that we're we're called to. We don't have a choice in this. Jesus has said go, and he's called us to this. And if we're going to be his followers, we are called to this whole commitment. And we need to understand that it may be costly. Listen, we need to understand that we are entering into a world of fallen people who love what they love. Listen, Herod and Herodias loved what they loved. Herodias was pursuing a clean conscience. She wanted a clean conscience. What did Herod want? He wanted to look good in the eyes of his people. What happened? Those two loves, her love for a clean conscience, his love to look good in the eyes of others, those came at the cross At this point of John the Baptist and he was a just collateral damage. He got what he loved, she got what she loved. And when we engage in other people, and we're speaking to them about truth, when we are engaging those who love what they love, we can expect there to be hostility. In your outline, these next two points are switched, but I want you to see this, that we realize that in this, that we must accept... That we will be resisted, that we will be resisted by those who see Jesus and His truth as interfering with what they love. What I mean by that, when we start talking to people about their sin, when we start telling talking to people about the biblical truth, and biblical truth is that that if we love our sins, we are going to be condemned and face the wrath of God if we are not forgiven of that and our loves turn toward Jesus. And so you start interfering with their love. You start interfering with my love for money, and you talk to me about that I'm greedy. Look out. You, I, love, I love pleasure, and I love to have time to do whatever I want to, and time just to play video games, or just to go golf, or to do all of my other things that I want. I love those things. And you start talking to me about being responsible to my family. Look out and stir up some anger. You start talking to me, I don't like my job, I don't enjoy my job, and it's blah, 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 all these things, it's horrible, so I'm just going to skate by and just really just kind of get by because my employer doesn't pay me like they should, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm just kind of being a lazy person at my job and not doing good work. You talk to me about that, about how I need to step it up, look out. You see, we love what we love. And when we love what we love, and that when people start interfering with what we love, we're going to fight for it. Herod did. Herodias did. Pilate did. We do. And we need to recognize that, that we are interfering with their loves. And and then we must realize that, that Jesus is only going to be attractive to others. Jesus is only going to be attractive to others when they see him as a worthy replacement of their current love. You see, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is more than just me praying a prayer and going to heaven. The gospel is about an exchange of loves. The gospel of Jesus Christ says to us that there is something more lovely than loving yourself. And that's Jesus. And you're thinking, well, how could there be something more lovely than me? Right? I mean, I'm the most lovely thing there is. And the things I love are all the right things. Until the gospel comes. And it says that those things contradict the word of God and as those contradict the word of God they place me under God's wrath and judgment but God in his love has sent a savior in helping me to understand that I am far more sinful than I think but because of Jesus and by Jesus I've been loved in ways that I could never imagine and as I begin to understand that that Jesus now becomes lovely to me Jesus becomes precious to me because he has taken my sins. He has loved me even while I was a sinner. That he, he has come to wash away my sin, receive the wrath that I deserve, and give me new life. He wants to help my life to flourish and to, 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 to please him and to be honoring to him. He's done all of that. And until we see Jesus as more attractive than our sin, we're never going to make movements towards God. That love for these sins, these love for other things, are an anchor. That's why Jesus says, if you love father or mother or brother or sister, and we could go on with family and kids, if you love those more than me, you're not worthy of me. The gospel is about love. About loving Jesus. Because as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, He has given His body and His blood for us as we understand this, that we also recognize that as a result of all of this, that we must trust the transforming power of Jesus. To trust this transforming power of Jesus, that this is, only comes whenever we obey the Word of God. And obeying the Word of God and Jesus to call to love others wisely, to love them, it's always right, but it's often costly. And what we have to wrestle with is, what do I love most? Do I love, do I love Jesus most and I'm willing that whatever the cost is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him. I'm going to obey him. Or do I get to the point where, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't know I signed up for this. How are you seeing the cost of following Jesus? Is the cost that you're willing to pay... Is it a cost that the one who has loved you, that you are willing to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then that love to translate into obedience. In the context of our passage, the obedience is going and speaking truth. Listen, one of my biggest burdens, one of the biggest burdens I have is that we have a community and a culture that is lost. And they are lost, and one of my biggest burdens is that nobody's looking to find them. There are lots of people praying that they'll be found, but I'm not convinced we're real eager to go and to speak the truth to them to help them to be found. And that is the clear call of Jesus on us to go and make disciples, to go and speak truth, even when it's costly. And I would ask you this morning, are you, willing, are you willing to pay the cost of being a follower of Jesus? Listen, most of us are not going to get our heads cut off because we share the truth. Okay, Very unlikely that any of us, most of us, will have our heads cut off because we share the truth. But what might happen? We might lose a friend. We might lose a positive view from others of us that think, they, man, they're kind of narrow. I mean, in our culture right now, there is a, a, a believer in a high position of authority, the vice president of the United States, follower of Jesus Christ. It, because of his commitment to Jesus Christ and because of his biblical views on things, he has been, sa- has been said, this guy's not a decent man. One of the former vice presidential candidates had to roll back a statement that said, oh, he's a decent guy. to roll it back because people are saying no he holds biblical views and all this stuff going on and we realize that's where we live are we willing to pay the cost of being a faithful follower of jesus to wisely following him we don't need to be throwing grenades foolishly we need to be loving people wisely but we love them wisely with grace and with truth are we willing to speak that truth are we willing to go and to pay the Challenge for us let us pray, and after we pray we're going to sing a song that's going to challenge us and call us as a church to arise and to go for us to be the church that Jesus calls us to be. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you that you love us in ways that we cannot imagine. but God, I pray that you'd help us today to see that in the midst of this passage that following Jesus can be costly but it's a cost worth paying. And Lord, that we would be bold and courageous as believers in Jesus Christ, this gospel that we know, that we believe, that we confess, that we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, this gospel that we preach, that we would go and that we would take it. Give us, God, a boldness and a courage. Lord, stir in us the work of the Holy Spirit to not let us be be comfortable in our complacency. Lord, give us a growing passion and a burden for those who are lost and a passion that would translate into action. Lord, stir in our hearts. God, help us as a church, a church that would be going, a church that would be loving others, a church that would be speaking truth regardless of the cost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Action. sitting. So let's stand. Let's sit. Church rise. Church around your armor on, like Star can, can say that they are strong in the strength that God. Grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a service. Still lined the way, retelling triumphs of His grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory
0: for your attendance and attention this morning a few announcements on the board on the screen behind me encourage you to pay attention to also some others in the bulletin hey i want to encourage you before you leave just to greet some people around you um say hello maybe even kyle and some people that you don't know very well to uh greet them may god bless you